All right, and we are live this Friday night. And uh, joining me this evening is one Jacob Winograd from the Biblical Anarchy Podcast. How's it going, bud? I'm doing all right, man. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we just spent uh, a little bit waiting for Dark Tom Woods to get done with the uh, screwing with us. So I'm glad we actually finally got you on the show. So. Yeah, no, sorry. We had to reschedule a couple times, and then I forgot this weekend was my my state's uh, uh, convention for the Libertarian Party, and then I brought all my gear, and we set it up, and lo and behold, it doesn't work, and so it's like uh, literally like an entire table filled with gear, and then I just default to using my phone and microphone. Hey, sometimes we got to do it old school. Yeah. So uh, you're in Pennsylvania, and I know that the uh, Libertarian Party – Conventions have been pretty contentious in the past. How was this one? Well, I mean, it's uh, tonight was just kind of like people arriving, and there was a comedy show, and just uh-huh. you know, little events like that. The real convention, like the business meeting, is tomorrow. I'm not expecting it to be anywhere near as contentious, though. A lot of the bad actors have already kind of opted out and left, and so it's, yeah. it's probably going to be pretty low fireworks compared to years past. I mean. That's at least my expectation. If, <laughs> if uh, you know, if if things change, I'm always I'm always raring for a good fight. So we can uh, we can go that path if people decide that's what we got to do. <laughs> yeah, always be at the ready because you never know at some of these things. Uh, yeah. You know, our Libertarian Party uh, meetings down here in Louisiana were contentious only because like the the previous chair was uh, not well liked by everybody. And because he was a black guy, a lot of the uh, the white guys just showed up just to uh, spite him because of that. So that was always kind of fun, seeing some of those uh, dope-smoking Republicans show up. But, uh, yeah, it's always fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I've – this is probably my fourth uh, state convention. I wasn't able to make it to Reno last year because my wife had just given birth. But um, That's a good yeah, reason not know, to go. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it was one of those things, you know, <laughs> like – uh, this way, I had the freedom to go if I no longer wanted to be a married man. <laughs> <laughs> so, but now my wife's, I mean, she, she had our fourth kid. She's amazing. And I was happy to be there for her. And I was happy to watch live and see the, uh, Mises caucus sweep all the positions and everything. And, um, you know, Pennsylvania, like you said, been always contentious. And I feel like when, when we finally locked PA down, that kind of, that was like the, that was the, although I don't like using Civil War references as much anymore because I <laughs> have a different view of the Civil War than I used to have. It right. was the Gettysburg of the of uh, the LP takeover, if you so to speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just remember like it was uh, a couple of years ago. There was like shouting uh, going on at the uh, the Pennsylvania one. Uh, I wasn't there, but I got to I got to hear all the firsthand accounts. Oh yeah, uh, it was pretty bad. I mean, and yeah. we were making jokes about that today at the credentialing table. Because um, so that was the source of controversy. Yeah, that was <laughs> at the first, one point. That was the, that was the first thing. Yeah, because one of the people who was in line to like like was running for a, the vice chair position of the party. Now we have three vice chairs. We have a central, eastern, and western regional vice chair. He right. was running for eastern a regional vice chair. Was well known as an anti-Mises caucus person and he was running the credentialing table and the only people he was turning away were Mises caucus people 
and hmm. and and not credentialing a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, just a just a big coincidence there. You know, it's like these people love to talk about democracy. You know, democracy is the sacred cow of the old regime and like the loser brigade type. Oh yeah, but. You know, if you're going to buy in a democracy, then you kind of have to buy into, like, some kind of rules of kind of, like, fairness and transparency. Right. Like how that democracy process. actually works, you know. Right. It's like, you know, maybe the people running for the positions shouldn't be in charge of the deciding who gets to vote for those positions. Just seems like a basic <laughs> rule of corruption to me. But what do I know? I'm just I'm just a right-wing theocratic fascist. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I do love all of the names that they come up for for everybody uh you know it's it, it it's just one of those things that uh when you're around some of these people and then they find out that you're not exactly on their team and then all of the ad hominems start coming out and you're like oh wow that, that one actually was kind of creative i'll have to give you uh, props for that one yeah i've uh i know i've been called some pretty creative names and actually someone made a really funny meme of me once um <laughs> where they, they like took a cartoon and had me turning slowly. It was, it was a comic strip meme. And like yeah. by the end of it, I had shaved my head and I was getting Nazi tattoos and stuff. And they photoshopped it really well. And I was like, hey, hats off. That was, that was well done. <laughs> but, yes. You know, uh, but, you know, at the same time, while the, while the Loser Brigade people will call me a right-wing theocratic fascist, then you, the far-right Hoppians say I'm a left-wing... Uh, Entryist, trying oh, to subvert yes. their 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 hoppy in paradise, which I mean I like Hoppa. I, I'm a big fan of Hoppa, but it's like some some people just they. It's funny, as a as a Christian, I seem to maybe it's just because I'm I'm very invested in the Bible and in my God that I just have no problem going around poking holes in everyone else's sacred cows. Like I don't know, just people. People, in my opinion, even if they're atheists or agnostics or whatever, it's just this hardwired thing in humans that, like, we, a lot of, uh, not everyone, but a lot of people, they can't help but find some kind of golden calf to worship. And for yeah. some people, that's democracy. For some people, that's nationalism. For some people, that's, you know, uh, the red, white, and blue. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> You know, and, and I mean, some of those things can be good in certain respects if they're uh, held in the right ways. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, I, like I've tried. Like I'm an old lefty. Like I, I kind of came from that sort of anti-American left. Like I mean, I was I was probably one step away from a flag burner. I just I didn't understand <laughs> American patriotism. I, I didn't stand for the national anthem. I thought it was all stupid. And I've tried to moderate on that. It's like I can kind of understand where people who wave the American flag and sing the national anthem, like there's a, there's a form of patriotism where it's like a pride, not in soil, but like a pride in like a history, a pride in like a identity that surrounds ideas and stuff like what the founding fathers stood for. And so I can get, I can kind of get that. And I think there's a, you know, kind of a time and place for everything, but anything taken too far to an extreme can become, pathological or, or idolatry yeah yeah and uh there's no clearer example than the uh, ar versus ak guys when it comes to that so oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like well, over here in the middle i was like i, I kind of like both of them am i allowed to like can both? We do both can we do both <laughs> 
Or, or, or like the uh, the Bitcoin maximalists versus the people who are just like, hey, I like Bitcoin, but you know, I also invest in some other cryptocurrencies. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that one's always kind of fun because it's like, oh, in the end, there'll only be Bitcoin. I was like, while I agree, I can still gamble with these others, you know. Right. <laughs> and for some of them, you know, you see like certain use cases uh, out of them. Uh, like the privacy coins will always have a place like uh, pirate chain and uh, Monero and stuff like that. And Komodo, I think is another one, but uh, yeah, it's just really, really good. It's just you, when you watch like a Bitcoin Maxi's face scrunch up, when you start mentioning some of the other ones, it was like, no, this is total shit. You shouldn't. It was like, yeah, you know, I had some doge and I made 80 bucks on a $4 gamble. You know, I, I, how are you going to, to say that that's bad? You know, it's like, right. I, for me it worked for others it might not have so yeah no i i think it's like people get dogmatically attached to something and just if if you're not for that thing then you're the target of some kind of <laughs> they have to target you i don't maybe it's i don't know like i think some of it somewhat that people are hardwired to worship something or maybe some of it too is just just Twitter culture and people just shouting into the void because they don't have any meaning in their life. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably a combination of a few different things. Yeah. And, uh, as one who is, uh, horribly addicted to uh, Twitter, I'll be the first one to say that it does bring out the worst in people sometimes. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah like it's like the other day I was just, I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, before I reply to this stupid ass Biden tweet, Maybe I should just block Biden so that way I don't see him up in my feed anymore. <laughs> so that way I don't feel the need to correct the record, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always feel better after I block someone, but I'm I'm really slow to get to the block. I'm not like some others on Twitter that I know who are really quick to get that block out there. It's just I feel this oh, yeah. need to like yeah. like like right now, uh if I mean anyone who follows me on Twitter probably knows that like I think 80% which could be, that might even still be a conservative estimate. You know, 80% or so of my tweets lately have been going after Joshua equal because I- Oh my God, he is so terrible. I was like, I, I don't even really care about this, but I'm just going to block him because he is just bad. It's like, he's so bad that I don't want to block him because it's just like, I just feel a need to like expose him over and over again. Be like, you're such a warmonger. <laughs> like you're so, like- you you keep LARPing as a libertarian, but you keep on parroting the neocon talking points. It's just like I, I don't know. It, it's like it's like a train wreck that happens every day, and every day you're like, come on, like you're going to do the same thing again, <laughs> really? You're going to double down on this stupid, like you know, you. Uh, it's uh, like if every single person. tweet of yours is getting ratioed to hell and back, maybe yeah. stop. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then when people, this was funny, I don't know if you saw this, but someone made a parody account of him and people Dennis. couldn't tell the difference between Dennis. the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people couldn't tell the difference between the parody account and him. Right. <laughs> no, Dennis uh, had, had a uh, really, really, really good one there. Uh, he also was uh, LARPing as the, uh, the irs.gov uh twitter account there for a little bit and there was a bunch of right-wing people that were all up in the mentions it was like well finally you're coming out and just saying this i don't know who's in charge of the account over there and it's like half of the half of the replies are just dennis dennis 
I was like, man, you're not hit on the joke yet. Just don't even try. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, no, Dennis is a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anytime you see, like, one of those pop up. And it gets to the point now where it's like, even if they're not being a parody account, like, I'll still see, like, Dennis replies underneath. And it was like, oh, no, no that, that one's legit. Yeah. You just thought it was parody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the dangers of Twitter. It's like, you have to watch out. I, I've, I've fallen for Dennis a few times on different things. It's, it's, so it's like sometimes parody in real life. It's like, and that's, that, that says something about the day and age we're living in right now. Right. That like parody in real life are just becoming harder and harder to, oh, to distinguish. From. So blended. <laughs> like sometimes I feel like, am I living in South park? Like did, <laughs> did we enter an alternate dimension? <laughs> it just, it just feels like ever since Trump won the election in 2016, that it's just like, I, I don't know. Like it, it's either like we entered, we, we we entered some kind of parody of real life, or it's like we're in the alternate reality where yeah. uh, Marty lost. It's like Back to the Future when Marty lost the ma- the magazine, and you're in the dystopian. Um, oh yeah, the Biff future. future. <laughs> yeah, the Biff future. <laughs> yeah, what's really funny about that is they actually did model that version of Biff after Donald Trump. Oh, really? That, that makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> you got to think, like in the uh, like nineteen eighties, Donald Trump was very opulent. You know, he had gold everywhere. So it's like, so they just kind of modeled that, even though with the uh, the comb over hairstyle that he had. So they just said, yeah, we just kind of modeled him after like a hyper version of Donald Trump. And then Trump became the meme. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, if it wasn't for Barack Obama saying, you know, President, you'll never, you'll never get this, and then they pan over to Trump's face, who's look, he's got the, you know, if his eyes were daggers, he would have stabbed Barack Obama like a hundred times over, and he was like, oh yeah, 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 I'll show you, I'll become president, don't worry about it. <laughs> I have such a weird relationship with Trump because, so like when in 2016 when Trump won, I was still a registered Democrat, and I had just gotten out of a you know, year and a half, two year whirlwind where I went from being hardcore for Bernie Sanders and attending Bernie Sanders rallies and knocking doors for him and being all over social media, telling people why I was supporting him and why they had to vote for him. Ah. And then when, when, when the blatant steal of that nomination process went. The yeah, Hillary, I will say there yeah. is a lot of lefty progressive types when it came to Bernie Sanders getting stolen, getting that uh, nomination stolen for uh, Hillary Clinton, not once, but twice, uh, that, that opened up a lot of eyes. It was like, oh, yeah, they're just all corrupt. Yeah. Yep. Especially because it, like the cognitive dissonance to go from 24-7 bashing Hillary. And like it was good. Like it was based criticisms of Hillary. It was like. Look at the corruption. Look at the Hillary foundations. Look at Bill. Look at all the allegations. Look at the yeah. the look at her foreign policy. And it's just, but then as soon as it was Hillary v. Trump, it was like all that went out the window, right. and it was like all the criticisms that they were making of Hillary got shifted over to Trump. And it's not. I wasn't a fan of Donald Trump, but it just like it didn't seem right. Now I. And I, I, you know, I'm a big believer in just owning up to your sins, right? So I voted for Hillary, Hillary Clinton out of peer pressure because, like, everyone I, you know, everyone I knew was yeah. my 
my sister was, and I just felt like, all right, I guess we got to do this. It's the lesser of two evils, and but yeah. it, it 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 was such a. I really think it like that experience really broke my paradigm, and then yeah, when the when Trump won and the left went just so insane. And then, like, the first year of him in office, I could just, you could just see how blatant it was, the bias towards him. And, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 and it, again, like, not, again, not, not that everything that Trump did was good. There are a lot of things that I didn't like, but it just felt like, uh, you know, he's not this moral monster dictator you're making him out to be, at least not any more than any other president or politician is. And then, yeah, it's like on par, he was like, you know, like maybe Ronald Reagan light. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, he didn't, exactly. he didn't really start any new wars. He didn't, you know, stop any of the ones that were already going on, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, and about the only kudos I'll give to him is making the, the press's faces melt. Yes. Cause yes. they didn't realize he was doing stand up when he was at the rallies. They, they yeah. took every little joke that he was saying as like, Oh, he's really going to do this. You know, it's like, well, we got to take this so seriously. You know, it's like, no, he's he's cracking jokes at your expense. Right. <laughs> yeah. And seeing that and then like the way he trolled the left into becoming even like 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 he, his trolling of the left for that four years is responsible for the left we have today, at least part in part. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's like that's they, they the left got so insane on the woke stuff, so in stuff on the fake news and the Russiagate and all that. And yeah, I think a lot of former lefties that were in similar circles as me, we became disenfranchised. And I think some of them just became political moderates. Some of them probably went to the forward party. But I'm, I know others like me who, you know, we started looking more into, you know, libertarianism. And I, I discovered Dave Smith and Ron Paul and the Mises Institute and you know, yeah. kind of, and, and so it's like looking back on Donald Trump. It's like I had this weird love-hate relationship for him because all—I mean, there's so many things that we we would probably almost certainly agree with of things that he did terribly in his presidency. And oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, I kind of owe him because his wrecking of the establishment broke my worldview to a point where I was able to cut through the propaganda and yeah. you know it's tough like you know like uh reed coverdale um yeah you know, good old reed. With, he, yeah he, <laughs> he made a video the other day like about considering supporting trump for this upcoming election in 24 and it's like i'm not there yet but you know he makes a compelling case it's like this guy as bad as he is it's like it, it took a lot of guts calling out the the establishment the way he did in this the last video that he put out oh yeah that last speech like crap like, i was just yeah. talking i so I, I just recorded an episode with scott horton and we were talking about this um and we was like it's like i was like scott like that speech could have been handwritten by you like right for all we knew we were listening to him and he's like did did scott like sneak <laughs> notes into his jacket or something <laughs> like it was it was spot on like other than other than his kind of braggios Trump style kind of coming through, like yeah. everything he said was just undisputable and 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 right, and that like it's like I don't know, like maybe like it, it, I don't know, it's kind of like that that um, the Dark Knight series where like Batman's the hero that 
Gotham needs. It's like every Trump's the hero we need. Like he's not <laughs> he's not perfect, and there's a lot right. of bad shit he does. But like he he's he's the glitch in the matrix that's going to help us wake more people up. Yeah. At, at one point, I was sitting there watching the video. I was like, "Where was this Trump?" Yeah, yeah. I would I would have loved to have this Trump the entire time. But that was that was kind of like looking back at his campaign in 2015 to 2016, like he kind of ran on good stuff back then too. Like he talked about auditing the fed. He talked right. about getting us out of all of these wars. The problem was he just didn't, once he was in office, he didn't do any of it. Now, to be fair, some of it was definitely the establishment blocking him and oh, yeah. sabotaging him. So I can't blame him. I for mean, that. When you've got guys like just basically bragging to the Washington post. It was like, yeah, we totally lied to him about what was going on in Syria. We told him we pulled all those troops out, but we didn't. You know, it's like, uh. yeah, no, and you know, I, I definitely fault him for the bombing of Iran. But even then, he showed restraint by not like people like he had people in his ear telling him to go further than that, and he he stopped it there. Um, he was willing to. Oh go yeah, getting to, uh, Qasem Soleimani in Iraq. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he was willing to go talk with North Korea. Um, he wasn't like literally stepped over the line. Yeah, you know, and no and, president had done that before. And honestly, like now, Trump people don't realize that, like behind the scenes, Trump was harder on Russia than what the Democrat. The Democrats were. I, I think actually, and I talked to Scott about this. Like, I think the Democrats were so hard on Trump with the whole Russia collusion thing that he almost felt forced to become harder on them. Yeah. in his foreign policy to stave off the accusations. Because they started dumping, the, the longer Trump's president, presidency went on, the more he escalated the selling and then eventually just straight up giving of foreign aid and weapons to Ukraine. And, yeah. uh, and, and not enforcing some of the deals and treaties that, that we had with Russia. But even with all that in mind, if Trump was president during the past year or so, I don't know that we have the Russia-Ukraine war. I mean, maybe we do, but I feel like Trump would have been way more willing to actually push Zelensky to accept some kind of peace deal with, with Putin. Right. Um, or if not, I mean? just like working around it altogether. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know. It's like, I mean, it's like we're, we're in this situation where we need Ron Paul but we might have to settle for Donald Trump. It's like, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't even want to say those words, but you know, here we are. I don't, I don't either. It, it, I'm not even saying I'm there yet. I'm just, I'm trying to give that position. I'm trying to steel man it and I'm trying to make sure I don't dismiss it out of ideological possession. Right. So that's something that I, I, I do really struggle to avoid. And I don't want to make the perfect, the enemy of the good. Um, I, I still think that the Libertarian Party should run someone like a Dave Smith or someone like a Spike Cohen for president in, in yeah. 24 and do a big messaging campaign. But I would say this, before I was kind of hoping Trump was the Republican nominee because I thought, well, we could really expose him and bash him. But now I'm like, well, if Trump's the Republican nominee, maybe the Libertarian candidate needs to just agree with Trump on the stuff that Trump's good on and just go hard at the left candidate. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's, I don't know. It's like 
the Libertarian Party's in this weird position where it's like, we don't really have the power to affect anything at the federal level directly. Yeah. But we do Despite have... Despite what Republicans and Democrats say all right, the time, right. yeah. <laughs> but, but, as, but if we're going to put our finger on the scale, we should at least put it in a direction that is strategic. And yeah. if we're... If we're going to do anything, I think we should, A, try to wake as many people up as we can and be like, hey, Donald Trump's right about this conflict in Russia, Ukraine. And the stuff that Donald Trump ran on about the Federal Reserve and about all these regulations that caused all these businesses to get shipped overseas, he's right on that. We just think that he's wrong about protectionism. We don't think tariffs are good, that actually we just need to end these regulations but but we still need free trade, and yeah. we just think that uh, the solution long term, like Trump, might be the the uh, what's the term, like the tourniquet we need yeah. for the short term. But the long term solution has to be decentralization. We have to focus at nullification at the local level, and that's right. I mean that's why that's why at the end of the day it's like. I'm a, I'm a Meacock ride or die because it's like they're the only people within the libertarian party sphere who are serious about local action, decentralization, nullification. Yeah. And I think that's the only path forward long term. Like Trump, Trump might be that card we need to play to buy us the time to do all that action at the local level. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, it, even if we got like a Dave Smith to run, uh, Number one, he should just be hammering the anti-war stuff like from top to bottom. Yeah. That, I mean, it's starting to show that uh, people are losing support for this this Ukraine stuff already. I mean, when you know they're announcing more money is going to Ukraine, and then we just had a tragedy in East Palestine, Ohio, where a whole bunch of chemicals got dumped and uh, set on fire. And now you're starting to see like a whole bunch of Democrats underneath. It was like, no, 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 you need to focus on this <laughs> type of stuff. And uh, even the Brits are coming around saying, well, we need to start looking at post-war Ukraine and hopefully we can start getting uh, concessions signed on to. Yeah. You know, and, and, to, and to, you know, bring Trump back. I mean, it was such a brilliant move when he went to Palestine, Palestine Ohio. Like yeah. just such a brilliant, like for, for Forcing the hand of, and being like, oh, I'm going to go out and visit these people. And then the Democrats come out sheepishly after him. It's just like, oh, yeah. And then just outright lying about it. It was like, oh, no, we had the EPA out there within hours. No, you didn't. Yeah, we were here the whole time. <laughs> it's like, it's like, unless you measure like several tens of hours later. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, there's something, you know, the, the one thing about Trump that is rather charming is that he's. He kind of has. He reminds me of a bit of a centrist Democrat because, like, you can tell he's yeah. for the working class. Yeah, but that's what I've always said. Not, he's he's like a big labor Democrat. Yeah, like now maybe I don't know if he actually care cares. You know what I mean? But he at least his brand is yeah. that he cares about them, and and so and people believe that he cares about them. He says the things that they you know and appeals to right. to the to the issues that that. The, the middle class worker is concerned about right now. Yeah, um, I saw it firsthand down here in Louisiana. We had uh, a rain event that basically just sat on top of us for several days. It dumped like four trillion gallons of water in rain in a few days. And, you know, the whole place got flooded. 
And Donald Trump came down with uh, supplies and everything else. And people just, you know, even on a personal level, he was affable. People liked him. And uh, even he, he pretty much had Louisiana's uh, vote kind of locked up because it's a red state anyways. But he, he still made the trip. He yeah. was like, oh, no, people are in trouble. I'm going to go over there and help. Yeah. Trump, so. Trump was the only you – know, he secured the base, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that, he's, he's definitely politically the, – the problem is I just don't know – like I feel like Trump could win the Republican nomination. I'm just wondering is he – I don't know. Like it, part of it is like who are the Democrats going to run, you know what I mean? Like if it's going to be Biden again, like Trump, Biden – Trump versus Biden round two, like, I don't even know how to predict how that's going to go. It's like, <laughs> like the establishment's worst enemy against an actual human corpse. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> yes, uh, I have uh, started uh, calling uh, Biden the uh, the bowl of macaroni salad in chief. You know, he's just, there's just not a whole lot there. Uh, Forest Mommy says hi. Hi, oh, Forest Mommy. Mommy. Yes. But yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's going to be pretty wild. I think what they're really going to try and do is kind of lube us all up for Gavin Newsom on the Democrat side. Oh, gosh. Because <laughs> he's got like a 19-inch part in his hair, and he's got perfectly white and straight teeth. Can you imagine debates between Trump and Newsom? Oh, God. I'm like, I, I, <laughs> like, you need to develop like a drinking bingo game for that. <laughs> uh, I don't think my liver would be able to be able to survive. It would just, it would just start hitting me. It was like no mas, no mas. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, I don't, it's it is good to see. You mentioned before the support for the Ukraine war is seemingly starting to fade a little bit. Um, which <laughs> yeah, Apollo's from Colorado would be just terrible. Oh, I, I couldn't even imagine. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, maybe maybe they'll try pushing Mayor Pete on us again. Who knows? Uh, or or uh, <laughs> Kamala Harris. <laughs> oh my God! It's just it's like what, what I don't know. Maybe when I was a kid, I had a warped perception. I feel like the candidate pool used to be better than this from both <laughs> sides. Now it's just like you know, crap. Like it's like I don't know. It's like. It's so weird because, like, the Democrats have this who's who of, like, awful yeah. candidates. And the Republicans are just, like, DeSantis or Trump, which on paper seem to be better candidates. But the Republicans are just incompetent enough that you know they'll make it a close race. Yeah. And just as a reminder for everyone who forgot, uh, Mayor Pete eats his cinnamon rolls like this. That's right. That's not a chicken wing, folks. <laughs> that is a cinnamon roll. just terrible <laughs> no words no yeah words. oh my god <laughs> yeah but no it's it, it'll be interesting to see how the next you know I, I, one thing that's definitely going to shape the election is going to be what happens over the next year with the russia ukraine war and if if biden keeps pushing this all you know all, full steam ahead with dumping billions of dollars of, into Ukraine and not pushing for some kind of close, you know, end to this war and negotiate and, and bringing everyone to the negotiating table. I, I don't know. I just feel like with inflation, the way it is 
with, I mean, things like that, that train wreck in Palestine. And like, there's, there's so many things going on here domestically. I just don't think that, like, I don't think that Americans are overall had a shift in their anti-war. It's just that right. they're like, they're like, Hey, we're drowning here. We can't help the world while we're drowning. It's like, like the economics reality are force are forcing people to, to look more inward. And, you know, I, the silver lining to that is that perhaps we can get enough people to be against this war that we can force the Biden administration or pressure them into, you know, taking being sterner with Ukraine and being like, no, we're not going to keep backing you. Yeah, you're going to have to go to the negotiating table. And if they don't. Well, then Donald Trump's going to literally beat them senseless about it. <laughs> or, or Ron, I don't know if Ron, I don't, I don't have a good beat on Ron DeSantis. I don't know. I don't know how he would be on the Russia Ukraine war if he was the Republican nominee. Um, yeah, he's, I really hope he, he's not. Yeah, I, I think he's kind of a, a tough one to nail down. I think with when it involves Russia and Ukraine, uh, he'll probably be on the side of trying to negotiate a peace. And I've told lefties this the, this entire time. I was like, the biggest scandal in the world is that the U.S. is not trying to barter peace between these two countries. It's it's a, it's a yeah. human travesty. I mean, it really is. Like, uh, it's not that I'm... And this is so hard for people to get. But I'm not justifying. Like, I don't think any of us are... I mean, okay, let me be fair. There are some people out there you can find who do go that route of, oh, no, we're pro-Russia invasion. We're pro-Putin. Right. I, I don't go there. I mean, I'm, I'm axiomatically anti-war on a Christian level and on a libertarian level. And that's because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a borderline pacifist. I mean, I'm, I'm good with individual self-defense, but I, also, I think that self-defense should always be aimed at disarming and diffusing a situation first and foremost, if possible, and right. using lethal force only as a last resort. And I think that there's something to be said about violence begetting violence. And I just don't, and I think the more that scales up, like, you know, it's one thing to use violence on an individual level to stop one bad person. But then when you scale that up to nations, it's like, you know, I, I don't see where that works except when it's like here's the, here's the thing: war brings about peace only at the price of thousands upon thousands of lives, right. and I, that's just not that's not a that's not a good way to peace, right? Like that's like saying I want I want to have a peaceful home, and by peaceful home I mean my kids are terrified of me and my wife is terrified of me. And they walk around eggshells around me and they're constantly trying to like, no, like that's an abusive relationship. And like, they might be being submissive, but that's not, that's not peace. That's not the kind of peace that we want. We can't confuse like calm or quiet with peace. Those aren't the same thing. And I, I definitely think Russia could have done more or hold it out longer to try to negotiate a peace. But at the same time, like they fell, they, you know, Putin fell for the, for the bait. He fell for the, yeah. the, the, and that's what people don't realize. Like, 
I'm anti-Russia invasion, but I'm I'm so much more pissed off at our own government and NATO who have been for the past two decades just pushing us closer and closer to this situation. Yeah. It's like it's 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 Yeah, I've told people, people before it's like yeah. I don't condone what Putin did, but I understand it. No, it's completely I mean like here's the thing. If if the same thing happened to America, the reaction would be way more than what Putin did. And that's right. not defending what Putin did. Putin's Putin at the you know, the Russian army at the orders of Vladimir Putin have killed, you know, hundreds, really thousands of innocent people. Right. And I'm not okay with that. I condemn No, that. it's, yeah, like but I it, said, it, I don't support it yeah. at all. I understand what, what happened, what took place. But, you know, that, it's like, put it this way, like, I, I used a Star Wars analogy in my episode with Scott, which isn't out yet, but it'll be out in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and like, I'm pretty sure Scott loved that because he loves oh, Star Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we... we we talked about the Star Wars prequels, which, by the way, the Star Wars prequels are like fine wine. Like they sucked when they first came out, and now they're like the my yeah, especially Star with Wars the movies. sequel trilogies out there. They kind of make them look like you know, right? Yeah, the sequel like trilogy was the best thing that ever happened. The, the sequel trilogy was the best thing that ever happened for George Lucas's legacy. Yes, and the prequel trilogy. Uh, but but you know, it's like you can have more than one bad guy. That's kind of what the like the prequel trilogy showed that like the Jedi Knights thought they were the good guys. They thought they were serving the Galactic right. Republic and that they were serving democracy. But really, the whole time they were being manipulated by the the Sith Lord, by by uh, Darth Sidious, and he was centralizing power. And the Separatists, led by Count Dooku, and Count Dooku, by the way, again, not wholly good. But there's some of the things that Count Dooku did and talked about that you kind of have to be sympathetic towards. Like, he knew that the government, the, the, the galactic government, had been overtaken by a Sith Lord and that that corruption ran so deep. And yeah. so he wanted to lead a separatist movement to uh, break up that union. You know, and it wasn't a national divorce. He wanted a galactic divorce. Right. He wanted to have some kind of separation and let individual planets govern themselves or to be free to form their own republic or whatever. And it was like, oh, no, we can't let them do that. So, and don't, don't get me wrong, the separatists in Count Dooku, they killed innocent people, and they right. initiated some violence. and With murder robots, kind of like the U.S. Empire. Right, right. <laughs> but, but the Galactic Republic ends up becoming the Galactic Empire in their quest to destroy that evil. And it was all orcs. So it's like, to me, I look at this situation with Russia and Ukraine and America, and I'm like, yeah, Russia's not, you know, like, uh, Putin isn't an angel. The Russians aren't angels. But the danger here is oversimplifying this geopolitical situation into just good guys and bad guys and trying to put America in the position oh, yeah. of the good guys when really like, well, like Kamala Harris said, well, guys. Russia is a big country and it invaded a little country called Ukraine. Yeah. How many little countries has America invaded? <laughs> like who's going to hold us accountable for Afghanistan? Who's going to hold us accountable for Iraq? Who's going to yeah. hold us accountable for Syria, for yeah. Libya, for, uh, not for, to mention everywhere in North Africa. Right, yeah. 
I mean, heck, I mean, you could hold us accountable for the situation in South America and places like Venezuela and other places where yeah. we've been with our war on drugs and our intelligence agencies have been propping yeah. up the war on drugs, which has been propping up the, the drug cartels, which have destabilized large parts of, of Latin and uh, South and Central America. It's like, who's going to hold us accountable for all the deaths that we've caused? And it's like, sorry if I'm a little bit skeptical about this murderous, blood-soaked empire that is the American government yeah. supporting the Ukraine government against another tyrannical government. But really, it's like, America is just what Russia did. Like, what people accuse russia of being we are yeah <laughs> and that's what they don't get so if anybody wants to know what the u.s has done on this side of the planet you know operation condor should be a good place for you to, for you to start yeah just you know fomenting right-wing terror down in the uh, south americas so there you go yeah yep and it's like how how many how many countries have we regime changed you know what i mean like we've done regime change in yeah. In so many different middle Middle Eastern countries, and and yeah. and we're already starting to talk about bringing back the Shah of Iran's son. Yeah, and and <laughs> it's like so. Remember how much people freaked out at the idea that Donald Trump was a, Ru a Russian plant with no yeah. evidence, right? Like there's zero. Oh, even the left said he's going to start all of these wars, and we're going to get nuked. Right. And it, now it's it, like, it, well, nukes are, nukes would be good. So silly. it's it's like people people should like Americans should count themselves lucky that we we're not the victim of some like you know there isn't some bigger superpower who wants to come hold us accountable for our crimes against humanity. It's right. like it, it, it and it's at some point like this can't last forever. Like American hegemony and this monopoly on the global stage of the power we have it can't last forever. Right. Whether whether it's through economic collapse or God forbid some kind of war that leads to more economic collapse or God forbid nuclear war like you know there, there's no situation where we can keep going this way and it doesn't end badly. And supporting Ukraine at this point and supporting this war and trying to hold Russia accountable is at best, only worsening and expanding American imperialism. Yeah. And at worst, triggering a nuclear apocalypse. And everything in the middle of that is still not good. Yeah, it's like uh, Daniel McAdams with the Ron Paul Liberty Report uh, had a pretty good uh, observation of this. He was like, well, Biden wants it two ways. He wants to defeat uh, Putin in Ukraine and at the same time not have a nuclear war. It's like, well, you can't have both in this scenario. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I heard, uh, I got, I got so pissed off at uh, Ben Shapiro the other day and I was listening to him and he was just like, oh, there's no way Putin would ever launch nukes. He knows that that would end badly for him. It's like, it's like at that point he's a cornered animal. Yeah. <laughs> First of all. In Putin's mind, it's like, you know, we have all these missile launchers pointed at him. 
Yeah. And those missile launchers can be armed with missiles that can have hydrogen bombs attached to them. And we've been building more and more of them right on his doorstep. You think America would be okay with that? You think if Mexico was building hundreds of missile launchers that could be armed with nukes and they were, you know, and they said, oh, we're going to use them to defend against Brazil or something. <laughs> it's like, we, we, told, we initially told Putin, like, oh, we're using them to protect against a potential attack from Iran or something. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just, it's bogus. And it's like, again, I don't think Putin really exhausted all of his options to, to you know, like, he wasn't at the point where invasion was justified. Really, I don't think right. there's ever a point where killing innocent civilians is justified. He, he, there was other things he could have done. But the point is, we have not made it easy for him. Like, I think Putin showed way more restraint than any American president in his situation would. Right. Like, it's 100%. I mean, we had two planes. Like, I'm not trying to downplay 9-11 here, because I know it was a tragedy. But we had two planes, or three planes crashed into buildings in our country, and we started a 20-year war that killed like 100,000 people in the Middle East. Yeah, or more and displaced than that, millions others. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> we don't really have much of a high horse to sit on. Right. Yeah. And uh, one thing I will say is that uh, Putin knows English and any news agency over here would have, you know, stomped all over themselves trying to get an interview with the guy. And one thing he could have done was just speak directly to the American people to try and avoid it. But yeah, he could have tried that. He could have. Um... You know, there's there's something to be said about, you know, I mean, like some of the people will criticize Putin for his offerings of peace, saying he was trying to ask for too much land. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's like, I think to me, it's like, well, that's that's his opening offer, right? Like maybe we, we I think America definitely should have counter offered and, and should have said, well, let's sit down and talk and let's work it out. It's and it's like, uh, the argument is like, well, what about the people living in those regions and their right to self-determination? It's like, okay, yes, in an ideal sense. Yeah, right, in a perfect want. world. Yeah. Right. You know, but, the, you know, if we don't want to live in Ancapistan in our heads, it's like, you know what, is the self-determination of people living in a small sliver of land worth, worth risking open war? I don't think so. Like, I just, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, that doesn't make me pro-Putin. That just makes me like, hey, I want to contend with reality here and not live in some kind of fantasy land. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Putin could have tried, like, here's the thing, like, Putin could, if he was going to do anything, Putin could have said, hey, these missile launchers that you have aimed at me, they got to go. And if they don't go, well, then you know, maybe we're going to start trying to take them down or try to sabotage them. Or, like, there's things he could have done that would have been directly aimed at the, the people doing the provoking and not the innocent civilians. It's like, I, I, you can't ever justify killing innocent civilians. But, like, here's the thing. It's not justifiable under a libertarian or, in my opinion, a Christian ethic. Right. But that is absolutely just the name of the game when it comes to statist warfare in the modern age. Yeah. So it's like, I can understand why people like Jimmy Dore and other people who aren't libertarians 
why they take the pro-Russia side. Because to them, they're like, well, there is no other option, and that's just the cost of doing business. If you provoke a country, they're allowed to go to war against the other country, and there's going to be casualties, and that's just that's, that's inevitable. I, I don't accept right. that, but I understand it. And I can understand from Putin's mindset why he felt like he had no choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, before we start delving into uh, Sam Harris and coming up with all of these hypotheticals that would have changed the situation, you know, uh, from myself, I wish it would have worked out a little bit differently. But uh, we're in the here and now it's been over a year and uh, it, it should be uh, coming to a close. I, I think my white pill in this sense is just how many people are responding underneath, you know, pro war tweets and uh you know pro ukraine tweets with like yeah but we're suffering over here you know it's this isn't what you made it out to be you know everyone can kind of see you know and then you'll see people like posting like the recent articles where some you know ministers over there in ukraine got caught with brand new mercedes benz and you know they're asking where are all these weapons and then they're turning up in africa of all places and then they're trying to to spin it and say well you know, Putin stole those weapons and sold them. It's like, no, <laughs> we don't think so. So that's my white pill. I just think more people are just kind of sniffing the bullshit a little bit for what it is. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I, I think the, the other thing I think that's helpful here, and I, I hope we can start to wake people up with this, is just, you know, there haven't been a lot of modern wars that have gotten media coverage in, in, in our era. Um and war is ugly, man. And I think that people seeing pictures of people being blown to bits and dismembered and all that, mm-hmm. like it's it's not that I, I'm not like I'm not celebrating that, but I'm hoping the silver lining from that is that people can see the cost of war and maybe, you know, that's what, and we as libertarians should be out there. We should be yelling at the top of our lungs and, and showing people this and being like, this is. There's got to be better ways for us to solve conflicts. Like it's yeah. it's 2023. Like we got to put this ink this ancient idea that when there's a dispute between one group of people and another group of people that the only way of solving these disputes is we send thousands of young people between the age of 18 and 25 at each other with deadly weapons and see who can kill more of each other. Like yeah. That that is that is the problem solving skills of barbarians not of a civilized society and i just hate that like you know and and then like the connected to like libertarianism and anarchism i just i the whole like i i get this so much when i'm talking to uh christians who are just echoing or or regurgitating like status talking points and they're like well you know we need the state because without the state everything would devolve into chaos and you'd have warring tribes fighting one another and i'm just like have you looked around lately <laughs> i was like, <laughs> like I, I hate i hate to break this to you but uh that's kind of like the default state of man so well yeah and it's like and it's not that i'm saying that there would be no violence in a theoretical anarchist society but it's like the state isn't really solving that right and I think if anything, the state makes yeah, that there's already worse. war and murder now. I, it's, it's never going yeah. to be perfect. It's not going to be, you know, all 
unicorns and rainbows. You know, it's it's just it just freedom is messy. It's gonna. It, it's uh, sometimes it's a bad thing too. So it's we just have to be on the on the lookout for it. And hopefully, at uh, at the end of the day, people have had enough and then start demanding that uh, all of the funding to Ukraine gets gets revoked at the bare minimum, at least audited to show where it's going. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. Yep. So uh, white pills for you. Uh, I, I'd say a white pill for me, you know, I've seen a lot more people talking about the Federal Reserve lately and, and kind of being a little bit more yeah. uh, open to hearing about, you know, monetary policy. I mean, inflation's just gotten so bad that people are now looking into it and being more open-minded about the causes. And, you know, it's funny, I, I listened to... And, I, and it's funny, I'm bringing it up twice in this conversation, but I listen to everybody from the left and the right, um, even if I don't like them, I just want to hear what they have to say. And I listened to a conversation between Ben Shapiro and Anna Kasparian, and you know, a lot of it was kind of uninteresting, boring stuff, just kind of like left-right, uh, culture war, things like that. Although yeah. Shapiro did talk about national... So like, you hear a lot more about national divorce lately, and that's kind of a white pill, too. And there's more people on the left and the right who are in favor of something like that, or at least, yeah. you know, not being as turned off by it as they used to be. Then the other thing is at the end of that conversation, they talk, they both talked about legitimate grievances they have with the Federal Reserve and how it's, it's a, you know, they were connecting it to the, uh, the buying up of abandoned properties. And how that like there's all these rich corporations going around and buying up all these properties and then yep. renting them back out at super high prices. And what's enabling yep. all this is the easy money. BlackRock. That's yeah, yeah, like BlackRock and stuff. That's handed out, and they're 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 enabled by the easy money from the Fed. And yeah. so it's like, wow, if you can get someone like Ben Shapiro and Anna Kasparian to sit <laughs> down together and find common ground on hating the Federal Reserve, it's like. We, we as Austrian libertarians, we have a huge opportunity here to be yeah. coming in and being like, hey, we've been talking about this longer than any of y'all have, and it goes deeper than you even realize. Like the whole, the whole Austrian business cycle and how we you know, have correctly predicted you know, uh, all of this stuff. And I think we just have to show people, hey, listen, the spending of Biden, it's not helping, but the inflation didn't start with Biden. It started with, well, I mean, it started with Trump. And before Trump, it was Obama. Before Obama, it was George Bush. Before, you know what I mean? It's like it, all this stuff accumulates and it, the pipe, you know, the, the bill comes due. Yeah. So we either... I mean, if you really wanted to go on a long enough timeline, it was like pretty much reconstruction was the thing that got it really yeah. going. So... Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit white-pilled on that. I think... Yeah, I think like a couple of years ago, people were like, listen, no one wants to hear about the Federal Reserve. It's like yeah. only libertarians care about that. So but much so that it was a joke in the movie The Other Guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> right. But I, th I think the tide's starting to turn a little bit on that. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's unfortunate that things have to get real bad before people start to open their minds but uh, and yeah. ears to hearing it. But, hey, I'll take it. Yeah. Same here. Uh, I think that's probably a pretty good place to leave it off. Uh, Jacob Daniel Winograd, because <laughs> we have to make your name, Daniel. Uh, what's a good place for everyone to find you? 
So you can follow me on Twitter at Biblical Anarchy, and uh, you can go to BiblicalAnarchyPodcast.com if you want to check out the show. Other than that, I'm also on Facebook, and you can find the uh, podcast on pretty much you know anything YouTube, Apple, Spotify, anything of that nature. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, and I enjoyed our conversation. Ah, same here, same here. It's always pretty good. I know we've been on some streams before, so. But uh, thanks for coming on and playing along. Uh, we'll catch you guys around the timeline again, and uh, once I get everything updated, all of those uh, links and everything will be down below in the show notes. Thanks, Jake. We'll see you around. See ya. All right.